Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 81st episode of the podcast where we get a chance to talk to sports performance coach at Salisbury University, Coach Matt Nine. Coach Nine is current coordinator of sports performance and assistant athletic director at Salisbury University. He is the 2018 National Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year from the National Strength and Conditioning Coach Association. He was the finalist for the NSCA College Strength Coach of the Year in 2016 and 17 as well. He oversees the training program of 21 varsity teams during his tenure as coordinator. He has the opportunity to work with 14 national championship teams, eight individual national championship athletes, and there were 340 All-Americans. Prior to Salisbury, he also spent time as a strength conditioning coach of the Toronto Blue Jays. So, Coach Nine at Salisbury, just tremendous wealth of knowledge. Um, guy that just gets it. Guy that keeps it simple. And is all about relationships. And continuing to give lessons and teach beyond the weight room. And helping other programs. So, loving to get into this. Known Coach Nine for about 20 years now, and uh, it's just really great to be able to talk to him. I think going down this avenue and seeing the benefits of strength conditioning coach and how they do and how they can help and, you know, again, just, just, just broadening people's eyes and knowledge of this because it's so valuable now, and, and seeing what kind of skills they can actually be taught through the weight room is extremely important, and this is exactly what this is all about. So, Coach Nine, appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Also, can't can't thank those guys at Netting Pros enough as well. Um, the guys at Will Minor, Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BB screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic, wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, and dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will Meyer. Contact the guys at Netting Pros at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all your latest products and projects. So, again, can't thank those guys enough. Will Meyer and those guys. Can't thank you guys. Coach Nine, appreciate you, man. Everyone else, enjoy this. Some very, very valuable information from Coach Nine at Salisbury University. The value of you know sports psychology or psychology in general, man, it's the stuff's it's huge, and you know I think it's it's starting to see a little bit growth, you know, a lot more growth now. There's a lot of great, you know, from Brian Kane and Hannah Hughesman, and 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 you know these social media is being able to put this put it out there that the the, the high benefits of of seeking these individuals. Um, you know, you look at Major League Baseball and, and the value that they're putting to it. And, you know, one of our guys works with with Toronto and, you know, each one of their teams has a, a mental performance coach with them, all you know, through their minor league system. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's 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 important. 
how, how much is. so that's why i mean that, that's a big reason that you know i'm interested in talking to you and seeing how much you know your program like do you like are, are you able to dive into some of that with these guys like when you get them yeah, you know, like so. Obviously, it's different. It's it's probably not you know to the individual, right? right. Not to the like specific, that, maybe right. But what you what, know, and a lot of like a lot of what we're looking at is more um, tools in which that they can then hopefully take. You know, um, well, example. You know, one of the things right now um, we, we, during football season, and we had twelve penalties over the past each game of the past two games, right? And so I got to reflect on my program and look back and say, okay, where are we losing out on like the little things, you know, like, so now we're, we're, we're eyeballing like certain sessions, things within a session, you know, where did we follow the exact order in the way in which it was, you know, addressed and taught, you know, pre allowing them to go out right in the pre-lift when we talk about, you know, how we're going to go about doing this, right? Like those little details, like, is it those little things, right? That, that are, so as a coach, like I'm reflecting on that in my training sessions, you know, even more like right now, cause these, I'm not a big fan of this data that's showing where our opponent we're almost six times greater, the amount of penalties than our opponents. That's an issue, right? So even with baseball, you know, same, same concept, like when we're stepping up to the rack, can we go through what our mental routine is, you know? So like, what is your, your routine that gets you back into, right? The next pitch, right. Or the, the one, you know, whatever's next, right. If you're a pitcher, right. That next pitch, not dwelling on the past, like we can still use that, you know, we can use that to our advantage in the weight room. And as we step up to the rack to do our lift, I want to see it. You know, we had a a talk with one of our teams the other day about this concept, you know, and I want to be, I want to visually be able to see it. Like we're not joking, you know, this is right. Because you're going to get in this situation. So we can start hopefully relating it to the situation that they see out on the field and it becomes normal, right? It becomes not because a lot of times what happens is, is people just don't do it, right? They don't think about it because it's not ingrained enough, right? It's just like skill work that you do, right? I mean, if you don't, if you don't do it, obviously you're probably not going to do it in the game. You know, it's just not going to magically happen. So we got to find the, the, the opportunities, and that's my job as a coach to find the opportunities to utilize that. So, you know, some of the things that we'll do, um, I like a, it's it's a fun game uh, or activity. Um, it's called a Tower of Hanoi. And so this is kind of like we do it generally in like week three, four. So like right now, like it's going to start coming about with our teams, you know, uh, week, week three, four of training. Um, so generally about week five of school. Um we start this and it's a, it's actual game that we do between teams and compete against teams. But the concept behind it, the tower of Hanoi, basically we use a a 45 pound plate, 25, 10, five, two and a half, right. And they're stacked one on top of the other. And then you have three pegs. Like we use boxes, right. Three on a ladder, right. Three boxes. And you got to get that whole stack to look just like that on the third peg or the second peg, whatever I choose. Right. So let's say we got to get it on the third peg. Now your rules behind this, right? You can only move one plate at a time and a big plate cannot go on top of a little plate, right? So if you had that two and a half at the top, right? You got to move that. Now the five can't go on the two and a half. It has to go into the empty space, right? Now you have the 10. The 10 can't go on either of the two, right? So you got to move the two and a half first, right? Now what ends up happening and what we've seen with this game is that the way in which we we talk about it, right? Because we're competing against other teams, right? It's, it's in our um, 
uh, Iron Sammy challenge where we compete against other teams. And so this is a mental challenge to figure out which team can get the fastest done in this activity. So as soon as we added the competition onto it, other things start to fade away, right? In terms of the process, right? And all they want to do is win the game. And by winning the game, they think, I just got to move plates. I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. And what ends up happening, they fail to think about the most important thing, which is the next pitch, right? The next play, the next move of the plate. It's the exact same concept, right? Because if I move it in the wrong spot, I'm screwed, right? I, I, I am because all of a sudden, well, I was supposed to get it on the third pin, but it's all on the second because of the, because of the one move, right? And it's the next move right? Every single time. I mean, we have, we'll have guys go through this and we, when we first introduce it, especially with our younger crew, we'll introduce it and they're spending four, five, six minutes. Then I do it and talk about it. And I am done in 26 seconds Mm. right now. And they're like, Oh, well, you know what you're doing. I was like, I don't put them anywhere you want. I don't care. Right. I'll still be done in 26 seconds or less. Right. It doesn't matter to me because I understand the value of the process and the very next move. Right. And just like in baseball, the very next pitch is the most important one. I remember, you know, standing out on the mound as a pitcher, right? Yeah, you can't control what the umpire is going to say. Right. And so if I'm flustered or frustrated, and same thing in this game, I'm just throwing the ball. Right. I'm not truly pitching at this point. Right. So I got to dial in mentally. Right. And actually pitch. Right. Or as a left, you know, as a, as a lefty who was throwing, you know, 80 on a great day, right. <laughs> in college, you know, 80, 85. If, if I leave that over the plate, that, that ball's hit very, very hard, very, very far. Right. And so I can't let that happen. Right. And so we can use this game as an introduction, right. It, it, when you think about it, it has nothing to do with baseball, right. Whatsoever. But at the end of the day, it does. Right. And so it's then how do you, as the coach, bring that all back in that moment, but then how do you use that right over the next course of one, two, three, four, six weeks, you know, at week 10, how are we still framing that same concept in week 10? Right. And that's where we can talk about using, you know, that, you know, stepping up onto the rack and you're going through your mental routine to focus on the very next rep. Right. Now, other things that we'll do is we have bar speed measures, right? So we use, um, uh, they go onto our bar so that we can measure how fast the bar is moving. Right. And what some other things that we'll see is, you know, guys will step up onto the, onto the rack, right. And let's say they're, they're squatting and we need to see it in between a certain zone. Right. So I want it, you know, between like a a 0.8 and a 1.3 meters per second. Right. And what'll happen is that the first rep happens at, at 0.8. And then the second rep happens at a 1.1. And then the third rep happens at a 1.3 and it's like, coach, I got better. Right. I went faster as I went on. But my question to you is, why wasn't a one three is what you're capable of? Why wasn't a one three at the very first one? Right. And usually what it is is because they lacked focus right off the right off the bat. What happens if we lose focus right off the bat on the mound, right? Or at the plate, right? Like those types of things. So it's being able to to relate those concepts together um, in that moment. So they weren't necessarily focused on the very first rep. Right. And then they started focusing on the second one because they weren't happy with the first one. Right. But they weren't trying to necessarily make that the best one because obviously the next one was even better than that. Right. And so how do we change that? How do we change the attitude and mindset that we take? So when you step up onto that rack, that first one is the best one. Right. And then the second one is the best one. And it still may be better. 
right? And that's okay, right? But that first one, when you look, when you look at them, you know, as a coach and you've, you've been seeing them, you can tell when somebody's in it and somebody's not quite in it. Right. And so there you could tell, like they, they just didn't have it. I mean, and I don't know what it is, but it wasn't there. And then in rep two and three, it was right. And so whether that's the competitive fire or whatever it is that makes you want to want to train and want to work. So, I mean, there's a lot of cool ways that you can do it, but I think it, it's got to be intentional and we've got to figure out, okay, if we're going to introduce this in week, week four of training, we got to figure out how in week six, eight, and 10, we're still going to use that concept. Um, and those are some of the ways, right? We'll use that then. Right. So anyway, kind of going back to that real quick, just so you understand the game, you know, and, and what we'll talk about at the end then is, well, if, if you, you start to figure out the process is basically you need to figure out the end of it, right? You need to figure out where does the 45 need to get? And that dictates where every other plate will go, right? Because you can only move them in two spots. So if the 45 has to go at the end, the 25 in the middle, the 10 on the right, right? The five in the middle, the two and a half has to start on the outside. And that's the only way that your start, your movements are going to work correctly from the beginning. If you move that two and a half, right, that's the very next play, right? So we move the two and a half to the end and the five in the middle, obviously the easiest one, because you have to move the 10 has to go somewhere. So the two and a half has to move, right? Now, all of a sudden the tens on the outside, you have a two and a half and a five stacked in the middle. Well, I, what's the next move is the five's got to go on the 10, I can't put the two and a half on the 10 because then the five has to go back on the 25 and we just wasted, we're wasting effort at that point, right? So I'm focusing on what's most important next. The two and a half has to go on the 25 so the five can get on the 10 and then the two and a half can go on top of the five. That clears the middle for the 25, right? Can you, can you, so can you see the process? I don't know, yeah. like that, that it, it, we're focusing on the little things, the small things, Right. So again, now we're focusing on the concept of, of what's the process, right. To becoming the best athlete possible, right. And the, the little things and, and stuff like that. Right. So that's one concept. Now the other things we'll talk about, um, and, and this one was pretty cool. We did this one and, and we just had a jar, right. And, uh, it's the power of the penny. Right. And so I'll ask you if I don't, you probably, I don't know if you've heard this one or not. Uh, I've been doing it for a little while, so I don't, I don't know if you did, but, uh, so if you see a penny on the ground, you pick it up. Yeah, you do. Right. Yeah. So when I do this, like in, in a large group, like I may have three or four of you. Right. But like the other 25 will not. And then you always have like two or three that. Yeah, if it's heads up. Right. And they're talking about this concept called luck. And I'm like, I don't. Well, there's no such thing as luck. It's effort and hard work and the attitude of mindset, things that you can control. Right. That's what's going. That's where luck comes in. Right. That, so there really isn't. Oh, any, yeah. Anyway, whole nother story. Right. So oh, anyway, totally. most right, people right, say right. no. Right. And the reason why they won't pick the penny up is because it has no value. Right. In the moment, one penny will buy you absolutely nothing. But it's the compound effect of multiple pennies when added together. Right. So we always talk about, all right, well, how many, you know, if you see a dollar bill or on the ground, do you pick that up? And yeah, every single hand goes up on that one. And so why is, well, I can actually do something with that. Right. Like, Okay, so let, then let's 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 relate this back to sport now, right? So, you know how often, like you, you know, you want to win the conference championship or the national championship, right? That's that's like finding a dollar bill on the ground, right? Because you can go out and just you know lollygag through practice, not work very hard, right? Possibly still win a championship, right? There's plenty, just highly skilled athletes, right? But what happens if you work on the process, right? The little things. 
right? And we say these pennies, right, add up. You, the one plus one and you keep adding them up will equal a dollar. They will guarantee you the more you pick up, the closer to a dollar you will get, right? And we're saying dollar is, is success in this concept. And so for every penny, every small little thing that you do has the ability to add to your pot to get you to success, right? Now, you know, you talk about like gambling, like if the concept of gambling, like if, if somebody's going to come to you with an, an offer, right? 80, you have an 80% chance versus a 40% chance. Which one do you take? 80. Right? You're going to take the 80. Now you still can lose, right? You still have a 20% chance of losing, right? But I have a 60% on the other. Now I have a 40% chance of still winning. I'm going to bet on the one that I can get, you know, at 80%. And that bucket is full. That 80% is full of the small little things, right? The process, the little pieces. So what we did is we had this jar, right? And, and basically anytime you saw change on the ground, you had to pick it up and bring it in, right? So we lift three days a week, right? And, and just bring it. I don't care what it is, right? Just put it in the jar. <clears throat> so we even had a, a $5 poker chip from a casino over in DC, the Baltimore, DC area. It found its way in there, but you know what? Whatever. At the, so, yeah. at the end, so we did this for 10 weeks. At the end of 10 weeks, we had like $26 in yeah. there, right? Well, 21 and then a $5 poker chip, right? So now at the at that, we also then had giving day, right, at, at Salisbury. So all of a sudden, when we took that $26, it was matched, right? So when a student, a student or an alumni or a staff member put that into a program, right, it, it, it would be matched. So all of a sudden, $26, right? now became what 52 right and just like that in 10 weeks the small little pennies that you were picking up now became something valuable that we could actually use right so it was a great a great uh, model you know to show that you know for the, especially for those who don't believe right those who don't think it's important like ah whatever i don't have to do this today i'll do it tomorrow and then never gets done tomorrow and they they do the one little thing here and there right it, it just doesn't add up right um and so again just another way to add that in and, and it didn't it wasn't i mean it's stuff that we talk about like every week every monday we'd we'd have it the, the the tally of how much we were we were having and all of a sudden like now guys were like looking for money you know like it, it was something and and they were picking that up. Well, then the whole concept is like, if you're willing to walk over the little things in life that guarantee you success, you're not going to be very successful. Mm -hmm. And so each one of these pennies or small change, right, is now a reminder to you on the process, right? That the process, right, will guarantee you success, right? or at least put you at a higher percentage, right? Uh, uh, the, the greater opportunity, right? You may still lose, right? But you can, at the end of the day, you will not be able to say, oh, I wish I would have, right? Mm -hmm. That was me as a player, right? I wasn't very good. I threw 80, 85 miles an hour, 85 on a great day. Um, you know, at division one, um, my first three years, I played seven innings total, right? I redshirted, I played none, I played seven. Four of the seven came in one outing. I played three innings in, in 51 games, mm. right? That's not a lot, right? But I valued the process. Like I knew I could play or I wouldn't have been there, right? I wouldn't have made the team for three consecutive years. And I just found somebody else. And, um, but I worked hard. I, I pushed. I wanted to make sure that if I got the chance, I left nothing to chance, right? I, you know, it, it was, I don't even call it muscle memory, but it was just one of those things. Like you did 
every little bit of everything. So it became natural when it, the time was, was there. And, um, you know, I get a start, I take a no hitter into the seventh, get my first victory. I go up against uh, UNC Chapel Hill. I threw a complete game shutout for the first time. in I think 132 games that they had been shut out all of a sudden I was the number four starter. I threw every, every fourth game Sunday, um, you know, became team captain and opening day starter, number one, my senior year, right. And, like stuff just doesn't happen, but you know, they're, they're great. Again, using those concepts, right. And, and talking about the process and things that I would do every day, you know, to watching my own film, you know, and, and coach would, he, he just put it in the, in the VCR. Cause that's what we had back then put it in the VCR and he would just go about his day. Like he didn't, his time wasn't, he's a great, a good coach, but I don't you know his time. It, it wasn't worth investing in me, right. Investing in other better players, but then all of a sudden you can start to see a little bit more change when things happen, like more investment because I was invested in things like that. So, I mean, again, you just never know. And I never wanted to be an athlete that said, well, what if I would have, if I wish I would have done this, or I wish I would have done that, like, man, just go freaking do it. You mm-hmm. know, like why leave those, why leave it to chance like that? And, you know, especially, I, and I, to me, I think it drove my passion around the game, you know, even deeper in the game of baseball. And, it's how I got into the field I'm in now, right? Because I knew the things that I could control was my strength, my power, right? My my fitness level, right? And so started focusing on nutrition, right? And I dropped, I think, like 20 pounds, right? And, um, you know, strength, focused on that piece, right? And again, the things that I could control, um, I was never going to control him putting me in the game, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we, you know, things that we talk about here at, at Salisbury with our athletes, you know, is there, we say there's five components of becoming the best athlete possible, right? You've, you've got to lift, right? You got to work on your strength. You got to work on your power. You got to work on your endurance, right? We got to, we got to condition, we got to run, right? So whether that's speed work, right? Or conditioning, um, we have to do it, right? Even agility, right? Um, we got to recover. And I think this is one of the one that's lost, almost lost the most is yeah. that uh, we, we got a one sleep, right? Um, you're 1.7 times. 1.75 times more likely to get injured if you're sleeping less than eight hours a day. Mm. Jeez. Like all you got to do is go to bed, right? Put the phone yeah. down, shut the computer and get it, get in the bed, right? Close your eyes and, and you're good to go. Just, it puts you at a, a better chance of being on the field and playing. Like, why would you not do that? Um, I mean, you know, and, and then, uh, so recovery and nutrition is in there as well, right? You got to play the game, right? So you, you got to work on the skills, right? The process skills of playing the game. Right. So whatever the drill work is, you name it, you know, you, you got to work on those things. Right. And then the mental skills development, you know, and you can be a great athlete. Right. You know, and, and the, the equation for like uh, optimal athlete, right, is you have athletic uh, abilities. Right. And that's the ability to, to, to run and strength and power and things like that. Right. But then you got to have a set of skills. Right? But then you also have to have that mental piece. Right. You could have an athlete who's highly skilled right? Highly athletic, right? You see a lot of them, right? You probably see a fair amount, right? oh, yeah. but then, then they lose the mental piece, right? And they're slamming the bat and, you know, cranking it up, well, wood bat, cranking it over the knee or something, you know, like they, they just absolutely lose it, you know? So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's all part of it. And so I think that's a huge piece that we have the ability to dabble in, right? I mean, and that's really all it is that we do. And, you know, we're not the mental performance coach, and but we have that opportunity to sprinkle that in. And I think that's where a lot of coaches are, right? 
you, you are a mental performance coach. You are a nutritionist, right? You are a sport, a strength and conditioning professional in some context, right? I mean, you know, like how do you value strength and conditioning? If you don't, if you devalue it, do you think your players are going to really see any reason to go do it? So yeah, like I'm not expecting you to be the best strength and conditioning coach, but to have that just a little bit, right? I mean, that's all it is. And that's what we have is, you know, so reading, reading some books and listening to podcasts and things like that and taking these concepts and say, okay, how can I relate them to, to our program, right? You know, I remember playing Tower of Hanoi as a kid, and, you know, it was three little wooden pegs and you had these little wood, and, and that was the, that was what we did. And I have no idea where that even came from in terms of how that became a, an activity, but it really was like, you started doing it. It's like, man, this is a freaking mental. It really is. I mean, you look at it, you can get it done. And I think 32 moves, something like that. And all of a sudden I got guys sitting here for six minutes doing this thing. <laughs> There's gotta be something going on here. Like, so we dive into it and figure like, this is great. And this is a great intro, right. To focus on what's most important next. And then we can use it as we go. So it's finding those as a coach. And you're able to, and you're able to find those during you, your lifts, you know, like, well, it, it, I mean, this is a two minute, I mean, well, for most people, like I say, the average is probably two and a half minutes, right. To three minutes, but there's always that outlying group that takes six. And what's pretty cool with this is, you know, the, the pressure that picks up. Right. And so all of a sudden you're looking over and this group said done, right. Cause they're, they're clocked. Right. And then this group done. And all of a sudden you're like, we don't even, we haven't even moved our 45 plate yet, you know, and all of a sudden, so now like this pressure, right. So it opens up more doors, right. Okay. How do we handle pressure? Like, what did you feel like? Right. So instead of just giving yes, no questions, like what did you feel out of this group at the end? So is it worth taking six minutes now to introduce the concept of pressure? Absolutely. Right. So when we step onto the field, like we, we understand it. Well, how do we deal with that? Like what would have been a better way for us to deal with that pressure? Right. Uh, that, that we were facing. And so, you know, even in some of our activities that we'll do, um, we, we put them in pressure situations, like when we're conditioning, you know, so that you, you know, and, you know, I know baseball, baseball, I'm thinking, you know, for the game of lacrosse, working with lacrosse athletes as well, is that, you know, you, you play man up. Like, so you're, you, you play a small sided game where you're already down two, right? You're playing for, so you got six minute game and you're already down two to start. Okay. Like what's the mental process? Like, what are you focusing on? You know, sometimes like I felt like I had to score, like, and I had to press and I had to push, but why, you know, you can't score three goals at once, right? You can't score three runs. At, you know, it, it just, you, you got to play the simple part, play the process, right? The little things, the next pitch, focus on doing what your job is, right? If that's getting the ball to the right side of the field so you can advance a runner, then that's what you need to do, right? We're not trying to, and unfortunately, I think the game of baseball is lost is everybody thinks they can hit the big one, right? And they're going to, they're going to hit the three run homer to, to win it all. And, and then they end up striking out sitting on the bench and, and we leave runners on first and second. And uh, you know, I mean, yeah, so you, you can incorporate it in and they don't take a long time. You know, they really don't. I mean, five, six minutes, I think that's worth it. I mean, even all the way down to like culture, you know, um, another one we do is commitment. We assess commitment, right? I mean, even the game of baseball, right? It's a huge statistic game, right? How many times have you heard or seen anybody evaluate, you know, your, and give you a percentage 
of your level of commitment, right? There's a book, Jeff Jansen, Commitment Continuum, right? And a great book. And it, it really starts to dive into this concept. And so we've adapted it and modified it to what we want to see, right? But, you know, we're all worried about, or you know, players are worried about stats. Coaches are worried about stats. Yet the one thing that's probably the most important is your level of commitment to being the best athlete possible, mm. right? If you don't work very hard, Obviously, like your skills are probably not going to get that much better, right? Now, they may, but, you know, if you take, you know, out of 25 players, you might have like two or three who, you know, who, who grow, you know, in a, in a quality, incre- you know, incremental fashion where others, you know, they got a little bit better and they got a little bit worse, right? Didn't really improve. I mean, you could probably rattle that off. And that is the bell curve, right? right? You'll have a little got better, majority who didn't do anything, and a couple who got worse, well, that's not good, right? I mean, that, that, who wants that, right? We want to see continued growth and continued improvement. Well, it all starts with your level of commitment uh, to becoming the best athlete you can become. Well, you've got to define that, right? And so it starts coming out of core values. Like, what are your values as a coach? Like, what values do, do, do you have, right? What values? And we have values in our weight room. Our very first value is attitude, right? The attitude you bring every day is going to initiate, right, the outcome, right? We use the concept E plus R equals O event plus response equals outcome. Right. And so your attitude is the first driver of that. And, um, we meet all of our teams outside of the weight room before they come in for that very reason, right? We can assess and analyze the attitude and create that before we step into the door, right? Right above our door, we have, it's called the edge, right? Um, and then the edge is where, where average ends and elite begins, Right. So it's a, it's a great concept to mentally focus on the attitude when we understand what the edge means. And as soon as you walk in that door, we're stepping over the edge because we're willing to become better than the next. Right. And that's the culture. Right. Is that it starts before you walk in. And again, you, you yeah, you're, you're in the weight room. You guys were in at 6 a.m. Right. Who wants to be there? You much rather be in your bed. Right. Sleeping. Right. And, and again, there's times for that and there, there, you know, and, 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 but no matter what, like you may have just failed an exam and you're lifting at three o'clock, right? Well, are you, are you willing to stay in, in the, the, you know, the mountain of average? Are you ready to freaking walk off that edge and get after it? Mm. Again, that's a lot of our teams. I mean, baseball, you know, there's, there's no reason. I mean, looking at how successful Salisbury baseball has been over the past 22 years, 22 years, right? Some, well, 21 years, I think the NCAA tournament, like there's a reason, you know, I mean, you look at, you know, and you were there, you were through it and you look at the teams after you and, and the team just winning the national championship. We had two players on the field who were walk-ons, right? I mean, freaking grinders, these, these dudes. I mean, like that, that's it. Like they, they focused on the little things they jumped on board and they brought everybody with them, you know, and, and having coach Cyrus there and, and coach Brohan with his knowledge and, the leadership abilities that coach Cyrus brings. I mean, man, it's a freaking recipe for amazing stuff to happen. And, um, it did. Right. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's there, right. It's just, and there's plenty of articles, books, things like that. And you got to figure out, figure it out. When can you adapt these things and bring them to the table to make your players better? Will you ever, um, have those conversations, like let's say with Brohan and Sars, or maybe something that they're like looking at, or like, like, hey, we're struggling with this, or is that really just from you watching all the sports and kind of having a feel for what well, they kind of need to be? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll give you an example looking at like for, for women's lacrosse, you know, just, just looking at the group like a few years ago, 
um, there was just something was missing, you know, and the, the cool thing with us is in sport performance that, is that we're with them a lot, a lot in the off season where our coaching staff isn't right. And so because of that, like we could just go in and lift. Right. But, but everybody's doing that. Right. And I always talk to our athletes about, you know, kind of the difference between average and elite, right. Elite think differently, act differently and do differently. Right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of average people, right. They, and they're okay with just doing the average, right. But don't tell me you want to be a national champion. Right. And then, and then give me average. Right. And, this goes back to the commitment continuum is we can assess that, right? We can set standards, right? So coming out of your values, like what are your standards? So what does attitude look like in the weight room and how can we measure that? Right. Rod, Coach Cyrus always tell you, got to measure it, got to measure it. Right. And um, yeah. So, all right. How do we measure that? Right. Finding different ways. Right. Uh, you see a lot of values of like teamwork. Well, how do you measure that every day? Right. One of the things we do is we count high fives, right? You look at research related to body contacts, Right. And uh, there was a study done in the NBA that looked at um, body contacts and they counted them for, I think, the first like week or two weeks of the season. They let the season play out. And sure enough, the two teams that had the most body contacts were the two teams in the NBA finals. Right, the team that had the least right, were the two worst records in the game. Hmm. Right? I mean, and then, again, that's one study. But then you start looking at, you know, touch and, and things like that and, and the, the great benefits of that and. All right. Well, here's a great way to measure that. You want to build team unity, start high-fiving one another. Right. Mm-hmm. And early on the teams were, you know, they were like manufacturing it didn't matter right? because they were connecting. Right? And that's all that mattered. If they connected over thought, they thought that something was funny or awkward or weird. Like, I don't care. It's connecting. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. Right. To now where the team is like, get your touches in. Right. You know, it's now like a thing. Like this is just what we do. Right. We connect, we bond. Right. And then the other things we can use that with is like, um, like feedback. Right. And so we always want to make sure we close it out. Right. Because a lot of times, especially, you know, even then, you know, 14 to to 22 year olds, right. They take offense to it. Right. They they don't know how to handle feedback. Uh, Coach doesn't know what he's talking about, or I'm not listening to you. Like, who do you think you are as a player? Right. And without the values, without having a vision of where you want to go, um, those problems are going to exist, right? But as soon as we have a vision and we have values that start to drive our decisions, right, of what we do to help reach this vision, I can hold you accountable, right, as a teammate, right? If I don't really like what you're doing, I can hold you accountable because we've all agreed that this is what we need to do, right? And it's the bigger process. It's not win the championship, right? It's, it's become a better teammate today, right? Become a better person, things along that line, right? Well, well, you're over here dragging others down, right? I can say something, but we want to close it out with a body contact because we understand the value of unity. The value of family is that I'm not just going to let it go. I'm not going to say this and then move away. Right. I'm going to say it and say, hey, you know what? This body contact, whether it's a hug or a high five, means that I still love you. Right. It's creating that environment where it's it's okay to 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 give feedback, both positive and negative, but you got to close it out. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a high five. It could be a hand on the shoulder. Right. And we talk with a with an athlete and put my hand on and say, hey, you know what? We got to work on this, this movement, right? We got to sit our hips back, right? Be a little better, right? And, and go. And this, because we 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 deliver that concept of what that means is this means that I love you, right? By me putting my hand on your shoulders that I love you so much that I want to see you get better. 
right? I know that you're capable of doing it, right? So we got to make that connection because they'll make the, the connection differently. There was a, an activity that was done. It's, I mean, it's things to do with like teammates and things, right? As we had, um, we were at a, a, com, a clinic and um, they had to, to take a selfie, right? Of an expression. Mm. And then your partner had to tell you what that was. I'd venture to say probably like 90% of the time it was wrong. Right. And so the way you were seeing something was not the same way I was seeing something. Right. Or what I was doing was not the same in which you were perceiving that. Well, if that's the case, then we got to make sure that we're perceived, you know, you can have your perceptions and that's fine, but we need to make sure that we're clarifying everything in what we do. Um, so, so that everybody's on the same path. Right. And that's what it's all about. And again, uh, lead out of love, man. That's, that's, that's where it's at. Leah out of love. Um, I guess, Coach, um, you have you have your handle on all the programs. So that's really taking, you know, just kind of seeing where that's kind of put your hat on. Maybe it's a high school coach, um guy who maybe has to, you know, they might have a weightlifting coach, and typically probably that weightlifting coach probably does the same thing for everybody. So you might need to take more on your own and take more ownership. How, well, I guess, what would your advice be for that when you're thinking about, you know, t taking a program into the high school ranks? Maybe they don't have the resources that you have of having a strength coach. You know, what is maybe the best bang uh, for their buck? I mean, to be honest, I think that the biggest thing is, is stay simple, right? I mean, you think about the athletes that you have, you know, um, and what are their capabilities? Like, what are their abilities? Like, where are they at now? What is the, the one thing that they need the most? Right. And, and again, it's just, it's simple. And we talk about this with our, our GAs, right. They, they've got all this knowledge and they don't have a lot of experience and they want to do this. And they just read this article and want to incorporate all that stuff into it. But the athletes don't need that. Right. I mean, from a simple assessment, right. I think assessment is critical, right. You got to understand where you are to understand where you want to go. Right. If you don't have that, you can't just you're just you're just aimlessly floating around and who knows what happens. Right. So having some general levels of assessment, whatever that is, I mean, you know, some of the stuff that's out there now is you don't have to one RM. Right. You, you can do three, five. You can do mid thigh iso pulls. You can do um, sub maximal uh, testing. You know, uh, so there's a lot of different ways in which it can be done. Just figuring out what works for you guys and and what we're what we need. Right. And then a lot of times what we see out of the, especially out of the, out of the youth or the freshmen that come into our program is they lack the basics, right? They lack, they lack simple mechanics, right? They lack general strength. You know, they go to these places and they want to do all this like sports specific activity and you got these bands like everywhere on your body and you're like doing some sort of weird mechanical thing. You know, I was watching one the other day. It was like a catcher. He had it on his forearm, each forearm, and then like each calf. Right? And he's like popping out and like his mechanics of throwing were wrong. And like, this is like a, a, I think he was like 16. So he would be maybe a junior to you know, something like that, sophomore to junior in high school. And it's like, is this, is this really what this kid needs right now? You mm -hmm. know, and if we put him up on a, on a, on a vert mat um, or, you know, and test his vert, I guarantee you it's probably not where it needs to be. Right. So his power output's bad right? Or broad jump, whatever it is, right? So his power output's good, right? So, or not good. So why does he need to be in these, these contraptions, 
right? All this fancy stuff, right? The, the guy just needs simple explosive work, right? Um, and I was talking with one of my uh, GAs uh, today about, or yesterday about power development in, in plyometrics. And they're doing all these, these plyometrics, but they're just doing them, right? They're not actually, the coach is just watching. They're not actually intent of coaching, right? And, um, and what I mean by that is what you see in these plyometrics is you'll see somebody, they'll go down and they'll spend so much amount of time down there that they're losing extra force production because they're not activating the stretch reflex. They're optimizing the stretch reflex. And so we want to see that rapid snap down, that rapid uh, um, lengthening, right, of the, the muscles on the posterior chain, right, glutes into the hamstrings because that's going to be our concentric or the explosion forward. Um, well, that's a mechanism that's trainable. If we don't train in, we're producing force, which is good, but the name of the game for the drill is produce force rapidly. That's a plyometric. Right. And so we're losing half the, half the battle here and yeah, but we, we did plyometrics, but you, you didn't do them with detail, right? You, you were, that was an average uh, type of mindset that the coach was taking towards that. Where we're not, I mean, we're constantly on them about ground contact time, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, we could do them until we're blue in the face, but at, at that poor level, but we want to focus and really dive into the mechanical aspects, right? And so again, it's, I mean, you've been doing plyometrics for how long, right? You've probably been doing it with your teams for how long, but what's the in-depth, in-depth coaching that you've done with them, right? Find resources, right? And again, it, looking at it, it, it's very simple. Like you a plyometric, right? You have to have a counter movement to be a plyometric, right? You have to activate the stretch reflex uh, to be a plyometric movement. So Okay, the slower you go, right, the less of the the force production that we're going to get from you know that rapid plyometric stretch, right? So we're again, it's again, it's more details as it relates to uh, muscle spindles and all that you know anatomy and physiology stuff. But the general basis behind it's got to have this quick, rapid movement. And too hmm. often plyometrics, we don't see that. Too often we're jumping hurdles, right? I saw one the other day. This was a college, right? We, we go small hurdle, big hurdle, small hurdle, big hurdle, right? And they go over the small hurdle fine, then they hit right away, continuous over the, the, the or they go big hurdle, then small hurdle. But then to get over the big hurdle, right, you got to produce more force. So they're spending more time in contact with the ground. Well, is that the is that the idea of that activity? I don't know, right? It's an Instagram, right? Looks good for Instagram. Um, personally, like if we're doing an explosive jumping movement, I want to spend the least amount of time in contact with the ground. That hurdle is probably too high, that second hurdle. Or the third hurdle is probably too high for them in that movement to produce the maximum amount of force in the least amount of time. That's sprinting, right? That's sprint. That's what you do when you base stealing, right? You want to make your sprinters better, right? Simple concepts. Now behind that though, right? If we look back at developing the base of everything, they've got to have a high level of force production first, right? If they can't produce force, they're not going to be able to produce much force very fast. Right. So do we need to do all these plyometrics if we can't produce high levels of force? Right. So the basics, right. Learning how to produce force. Right. But, and then also doing it with correct technique. You know, I mean, your technique is poor. That can cause compensation patterns. We kind of mentioned that earlier today. 
you know, you can cause these compensation patterns and all of a sudden now that, that caps your movement ability, right? We don't want our athletes movement abilities to be capped because we were too worried about putting more weight on and not worried about mechanical aspects, right? And so other things that you can look at long-term athletic development, like where is your athlete, right? A 14 year old, a uh, 14 year old male, you know, they're, they're in a, in a phase where they're, you know, they may, especially those who haven't matured yet, they're not going to gain a lot of strength at that point, right? Because they, they don't have, they haven't reached that level of maturity with testosterone and so forth yet to really see a tremendous amount of strength gains. But what they can do, right, is they could really hone in in technique. So as they do start to mature, now we can start adding that next piece to it. Right. So diving into a little long-term athletic development and seeing, all right, where are my freshmen, you know, my freshman and sophomore class, right? One easy thing in measurement is peak height velocity, right? Take the measure, take the heights of your athlete, right? And all of a sudden you'll see, right? The kid was, you know, five, four, five, four, five, 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 six, five, seven, five, eight. That's peak height velocity. Right. And then they start normalizing out again, 5'8, 5'9, 5'10, 5'10, 5'10, right? 5'11, right? And all of a sudden they've seen that this massive jump. And then it, right? Once you've hit that, they've, once you've hit peak height velocity, they started to mature, right? Maturation has now come. Now we start moving into a, a, a second phase program, you know, their base level program, learning the technique, introducing load, right? Now we start being able to, to load them. You know, focus bilaterally to unilateral, right? The game is a unilateral game, right? We're always on one foot a lot of the time, right? Swinging, we're on one foot. Pitching, we're on one foot. Running, when the ground contacts, you're only on one foot. Right? Hmm. We don't want to start unilateral. we got to develop the base level bilateral strength. And then we start progressing our athletes to that, right? So, um, again, now you're starting to fine tune things maybe later on, but Again, it doesn't have to be that complex. I mean, we can stay basic. Like we can squat, we can deadlift, right? We can learn and start to develop pillar strength, right? Um, those movements are great because they require you to brace. Well, that's the game, right? In order to throw a ball, hit a ball, you've got to be able to brace and brace well. Now the game's bracing rotation, right? But we got to learn how to brace first and then we brace rotation next, right? It's all systematic in how it progresses, Um and, and it's just a matter of sitting and talking about that, right? Or, or sitting and, and just taking a global step back, like pull back, say, okay, the game, the swing a ball, to swing a, to swing a bat, to hit a ball. Like when I'm in contact, like if I'm not really tight, right, I'm going to lose force out into the bat and it's just the batted ball velocity is going to be down, right? So I got to figure out how to be, how to be, you know, really tight uh, through my core and so forth. And everybody knows that, right? And say, okay, well, how do I get there? Well, I got to brace first, right? And so one thing that we do, it's called the, the J stick. And we take a, a PVC pipe, right? And your hands would be on the inside and my hands are on the outside. I'm the guy in control, right? And so I'm sitting here, we're both in athletic stance, right? And I'm going to tilt it up. Your job is to keep it parallel. All of a sudden you're now fighting, right? And so you're locked in bracing. And then all of a sudden I'm here and I quickly change it here. So now you went from bracing this way to now having to change and brace that way. Well, that's the start of the process as it relates to throwing a ball, right? I got to brace this way and all of a sudden the ball is now out of my hand. I have to change the way in which I brace at that point. 
Mm. So we're starting to introduce the concepts of this ability to rapid brace change. It's not right. It's not very complex, right? But that's how you do it. And then all of a sudden it goes from standard bracing to rotational bracing, right? It is now, you know, both of, both of us would be facing the same direction. So you would be here and now I'm working left and right. Right. And so now I'll drive you to the right and you're bracing and all of a sudden I'll quickly pull you back to the left. Right now I'm in control. Right. And then you would be in control and I don't know when it's going to happen. Right. That's the game. Like we let go of the ball bracing changes completely. Right. Um, how fast you can brace and how effectively you can brace is going to determine then that could be sprint speed, right? All of a sudden I got to react to a ball, right? And just think about this, right? You're on first base, right? You're taking your secondary lead, right? Ball is hit. You got to then react, right? In order to move, you have to brace, right? All movement originates from the pelvis, right? So you got to brace first. How fast can you do that? Mm. You should see when I put people in this movement who have never done it before slower than molasses when it comes to bracing. I'll pull a senior on then just to do it like as part of the demo. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, and they're like, I'll pull back and they right away. I mean, it is quick, right? Their ability to quickly brace, but that's reactions, right? I don't have to teach reaction time, right? I'm thinking, okay, how do we quickly brace, right? When you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the ball is going to be hit, but when it is like that ball's hit, right? Shortstop, I'm going to try to beat that ball out to second, break up the double play, whatever it may be. But if I'm slow at bracing, right? That's going to make my first and second step slow. Now, eventually it may pack, pick back up because I'm fast, but right, you may now be a half step behind. That could be the difference between, right? Breaking up the double play, still have a runner on first, right? Late in the game, we're down one, right? Next guy comes up, hits a double down the line and we score versus being called out at second, not breaking up the double play out at first game's over. I'm like, again, I'm not going to leave it to chance, right? We're going to figure out how do we start working on bracing rapidly as opposed to sitting on the floor doing abs. Like who cares? Mm -hmm. It's not going to make you a better ball player or any sport, to be honest. Right. So I think stay simple. It's a long winded answer. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to pick one thing, Um, but yeah, we we don't have to overthink it. You know, I mean, don't (laughs) too often we do a lot of that and we really don't even in the game, we got like, 85 different types of like bunt defenses. Like <laughs> they need all that. Um, I remember geez, they had like printouts. of them. was like, Holy cow. Like, I mean, they bunt the ball freaking like five times a, a freaking, you know, season. It seems like when I'm on the mat, I'm only pitching, you know, once every four days, like, you know, how many, how many, you might get one a day. You might get one. Maybe, maybe like watching, wait, watching major league game. And how many, how many times do we actually have some sort of crazy wheel play, you know, like the wheel, uh, bun wheel defense play. wheels, but like, obviously we, you have to be ready for it, but um, you know, it's, it's, we try to make things exceptionally hard and I don't think we have to. Sure. No, that's for sure. Um, I was just thinking of like, uh, just uh, your end of it. Like, let's say, Will coaches come to you or is it part of your job where you have to say like, let there's like, there's a handful of guys that don't brace well. I'm just thinking of the individualization part. Like when do you bring that in there? Is that just part of everybody just kind of gets that? Or is that part of like, okay, you can kind of tell based on movements that these guys need max shore work on that. Yeah. So it, so it starts off, it'll start off as like a, a team concept, right? So like early on, 
everybody's bracing, right? So like does this the Sky Ray Hill, like a senior, does he need the same bracing as a freshman, right? Probably not, right? But we all start there. And, and part of our attitude and mindset that we take to it is you can always be better at it. Right. And so I want you to take that. So don't don't be upset that you're doing the same thing as a freshman is doing early on. And our goal then is to progress through that. Right. And so it'll start. Some of those things will start to show you. Right. So everything you do should be an evaluation. Right. If, if you're as a coach, every activity, every ball that's hit. Right. Um, even just hitting fungos. Right. That's an evaluation that you're putting in. What could he have done better? Right. So it's the same concept. So if we're looking at it, you can see it's like, hey, you know what? This this group here, again, you should have paper with you. Like we're jotting these things down because you can't remember them all. Right. Say, man, this person needs this. Right. Maybe a little bit of extra work here. They need to stay maybe a little longer doing this. Right. And again, it, it comes back to the culture that's created is that it's not a knock on you. Right. I'm trying to make you the best you. Right. And right now you don't need what what, what he needs. Right. You, you need you. He was in the same boat three years ago, just like you were. You've mm-hmm. got to be willing to accept that. And so there'll be times where we have multiple groups uh, within a same training program. And, you know, for example, they'll, they'll like example, like they're all squatting, right. I've got a, you know, I've got a guy who's, you know, a 32 inch vert and I got another guy, same position. It's a 24 inch vert, right. The guy who's, who's a, a 32 inch vert is also a two times his uh, body weight back squat, right. Strong as an ox, right. And explosive, right. So I don't necessarily need to put more strength on this kid, right? It's not going to transfer onto the field, right? So he doesn't need to focus on that, but I can get a 32 to a 33, a 33 to a 34, right? And I can make him more explosive. Right? Now, I also need to maintain strength for that kid, right? Because if we don't do it once every 25 plus or minus uh, three, uh, five days, um, it's going to start to decline, right? So we still have to do it. And at the same time, if I don't do it often enough, every time he does do it, he's going to get sore. Mm-hmm. What happens when you're sore, right? You've been sore, right? You obviously can't play or perform like you normally can. So I got to manage that aspect as well. And this is the fun part of like really training and programming, designing and so forth. Um, but anyway, like he doesn't need what that guy who with a 24 inch, who's got, you know, he might be one and a half times his body weight, right? I mean, that's on a, that's a low end. That's a class one athlete in our book. We're looking for a class for a male, like class two would be 1.75. A class three would be two times their body weight. Obviously a lot of the athletes that come in are about one, one and a half times their body weight. Right. Um, and so they, they've got that development, but their program, they're, they're going to be squatting too, but we might be doing six second negatives with them. Right. And putting them in under great, great amounts of tension, but what it's also doing, we're learning how to to uh, de- to decelerate better, right? Um, by taking these eccentrics, where our veteran crew, um, you know, that they may not be doing eccentric. They may actually have like a a more advanced methodology where they are, you know, post activating. So they're going concentrically heavy for that set, but then immediately following it by. Uh, high velocity movement, right? Using a contrast method or a French contrast method, right? Where it's, you know, that, so we can actually use the heavy to help maintain, but then we can post activate that with a high velocity and start helping to improve their velocity work, right? Well, everybody's squatting. It's just rack one is a little bit different than rack two. Mm-hmm. 
and, and so they're they're similar but different. But I also have you know eight racks in our room, and so being able to watch and manage and all that, it, it, I can't have eight different programs, right? It, I can't manage that. But if everybody's squatting and I know rack two is going to be doing this and rack three is going to be doing that, when I go from rack four to rack one, right, I can see, I know what rack one's doing. I know what rack four is doing, right? And, and they may be on different pro, different but similar programs. And those are generally made, I'm not say made live, but they're made, um, you know, a, a, as we're going and what we're seeing, right? We're making the adjustments uh, into the program using our assessments, to, to better program for them. So they're not fully individualized, but um, there is a little bit of individualization that gets put in, you know, and so we might see them going through the squat pattern and not like what we see and move them to a front squat. And so all of a sudden now there's three guys. All right, you guys are now on rack, you know, next week you guys are on rack two and you're front squatting. Cause we got to get your, your front, your forward lean is too far, right? Or you, you got poor ankle mobility. That's, negatively impacting right your hip mechanics and all right let's group you three together next week right so all of a sudden we may be making some slight adjustments well you know your, yours is getting better you're getting stronger all well, we might move you out and move you up right you might have been a guy who was a you know 1.75 times and over the first six weeks when we mid test you you're, you're started now being a two times your body weight hey we're moving you onto this group right i mean it's just again that, that's coaching and does it take time yeah it takes a lot of time right but again it how good do you want to be? Right. Mm -hmm. We could just, we could just go in and lift and everybody could do the same thing. And, and again, that that's average, right? I mean, everybody's doing that. It's like, okay, what are we going to do differently that allows us to stand out to be the best? Well, we got to figure it out. We got to do something different than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Everybody else might be doing it, but I don't know. <laughs> I doubt right. it. How much does uh communication have to do with that? You know, like you said about like, or is, it, or is it really just your eyes? Like if a kid, like how much are you valuing a kid's, you know, communication feedback that they're giving you about well, you know, I their it, ability or their soreness, things like that, where they have to, you know, have to I, I think it's, that's a great question. And it starts with a relationship, right? Um, if you've got a bad relationship with the athlete, it, it's probably not going to go well, right? Um, whether they're hesitant to tell you everything and, and so forth. So you really got to open that door up, right? And yeah, again, even in programming, sometimes, how your programming could be that specific. Like we want to create better relationships, right? And so we may not be lifting ideally, right? But we're lifting ideally for the moment we're in. You know, example, we may have, um, you know, a high freshman class, right? So a large group of athletes that I hadn't, I haven't been with. Um, you know, sometimes you have that, right? Where you just see this huge influx or you have, you know, the one team we had, we had, I think we had like 13 seniors, Right. That's a lot. Like out of a team of 25, like 13 seniors. So everybody else is new. Right. And so, I mean, you got to create, like, it's different. It's a holy, you know, every team's always different, but this is like big time. Right. So we spent that first like six, seven weeks just working on creating relationships. Right. Um, focusing on, um, you know, tiny gains, the focus of tiny gains. Like, I need them to, to really buy into what I'm going to do if I really want to get in into them and, you know, get them working as best as they could and then start to be able to provide me the feedback. Right. So an example of that would be like repetition in reserve, right? There's some days that, you know, again, one RMs can fluctuate. It's like a 
30% variance, right? 15 and 15, something like that on either end, any given day, right? So I could say, all right, let's do 85% of your 1RM. But on any given day, 85% could feel like 95 or 100%. Well, that's not what we're trying to accomplish then and out of that. So I need you to be able to understand your body and how you feel any given day. Well, a freshman's not ready for that, right? They, they haven't lifted enough to be able to do that concept. Uh, whereas a senior who's, who's lifts and is really into it and, and knows their body very well, they know when to back off and when to push, right? So as a coach, for me, it's about, it's more visual at that point where I'm looking at roughly how many more reps do you think you could do, right? So I'm looking at how fast the bar's moving, things like that. But then I'll always ask you, and they probably don't have any clue why I'm even asking, like, cause I won't really address this. Like, how many more you think you've done? Yeah, I think I could have done like four or five more. Okay, cool. And I just move on. I'm like, what the heck is he talking about? Well, like I'm starting to, all I'm doing is getting you to understand your body and how you feel. Right. And then, you know, in week like three or four, now I ask you again and you still say, you know, I think I could have done four more. Well, I know what our repetition reserve was supposed to be like a one, two. All right. Increase your weight. And we did it today. We had a team in this afternoon. Um, same thing. Right. You know, they're, 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 their push today was that we were doing eccentric loading and it was assisted reps. So he only had two reps and uh, the second of the two reps was supposed to be assisted beginning on set two. And then after set two, both set, both rep one and two were supposed to be assisted. We're pushing to be assisted. Now, some people they are trying to, but they hesitate. They, they're afraid to put the work, the load in They They don't want to fail right? Things like that. So again, you're getting these opportunities like, no, I want you to fail, right? And when you fail at this, like you're actually doing it the right way and we're going to learn from it. It's like, we know, we start to learn what our bodies are capable of doing and not capable of doing. And then at the same time, you know, so we have these athletes and they're going down in this six second negative, right? And then they press, right? Or they stand and they, they had no, they didn't have the assistance. Well, I mean, these are college athletes. So they're, they have the ability to, to do this, you know, maybe I wouldn't do it with younger athletes, but conceptually I'd figure out a way to go about doing it. And, um, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're getting up easy. It's like, all right, we got to increase the weight. Like we can't figure out, you got to figure this out. Like we're not waiting to the last set. So I'm like, you know, I, I was telling an athlete, I said, I average about 20,000 steps a day. Right. And, you know, in that, I only, I'll work in that 20,000 steps. I have two teams right. That I'm working with, uh, four sessions. Right. So I got them here, there, everywhere. Mm. Right. Like I'm seeing you over there while I'm watching this one here, I'm going to talk with you here and then I'm beelining over to the other side. Right. Mm. Because I got to get to that person, right. We're back. I could just stay in the middle and do nothing. Right. And then give you a little bit here, a little bit there, but they deserve more than that. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, that relationship is critical to build and that's your foundation and, and their willingness to, you know, we do RPEs, right? So rate of perceived exertion. Um, and that's part of some of the, the metrics, the data that we use uh, technology concepts to uh, assess readiness and recovery and things along that line. And so like how hard was practice today? Well, like, why are you going to go tell coach? Like this is how it started. Like, are you going to go tell coach? Like, like, no, like, I'm not like, I really like, no, like, I want you to be honest with me. Like, yeah, I'm going to go tell coach. Like it's a report that I'm filing. Yes. I mean, but like, who cares? Right. Just like coach is not going to say, Oh, he didn't work hard today because yeah. that's the case. 
we got a bad culture to begin with. Like if you're willing to lie to me about how hard practice was, right, we're never going to be as successful as we could be. Right. And so like, that's just, I'll tell you like, yeah, you're right. Like, okay. Right. If you, if you didn't work hard today, right, then, then maybe you got to figure that part out yourself. Right. If you're thinking here sitting like, yeah, I'm going to tell them it was an eight when it was, you know, when I, I really only gave a six today, you got bigger issues, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so we'll talk about that stuff, you know, and, and just throw it out there and, you know, laugh at it and joke about it. But they eventually do, you know, they eventually, you know, we don't really have people that, that lie. Like there's no need. Like my goal is to make you the best athlete possible. If you're willingness to lie, I can tell you this, it ain't going to happen, you know, and, and we're, we're involved, <coughs> excuse me, we're involved with program design in terms of like practice intensities and session durations and things along that line to, to manage workload. And, you know, I was talking with our field hockey coach the other day. And one thing that we're seeing is like our monotony, right? The, level of intensity of the training sessions from day to day are staying very similar. Now, like the durations may change, right? But the intensity, so if you have like a 90 minute practice and the intensity is, is coming in at an, at an eight for 90 minutes, that's the same as a 120 minute six, mm-hmm. same exact relative score. You're both. So yeah, well, we didn't go as long, but you went a little harder and they're very monotonous. And so what ends up happening is that can negatively impact recovery. Um, you know, so the freshness and how they recover from session to session can all be impacted and things like that. And so we want to see more of like a high, low variation where we have a high day, a low day, moderate day, and kind of fluctuations throughout the, the training period. And, um, you know, trying to create that in game baseball, it's a little bit more difficult, um, you know, because you you'll have especially with guy with playing right where you'll play a doubleheader in the day, especially at the college level, you have guys who sit on bench and don't play at all, right? So they're scoring it as like a, a two, and these other guys are scoring that day like a catcher who played both games is scoring that as like a freaking like twelve, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, like right. their day is a ten, and so like it becomes a little bit more individually managed, and you know we can look at you know acute chronics like what's the, what's the past seven days versus the past 21 days look like, right? So there's a lot of cool details that we can start to pull out of this to really help, um, better the athlete. But, but again, it goes back to it. If you're willing to not provide the truth that then we got, we got other issues that we got to figure out first. And that goes back to the culture, I think. Yeah. And the relationship, like you said, the relationship. relationship, Absolutely. Yeah, that's for sure. That's, that's, it's all really good stuff, man. Like crazy good stuff. And I think it just goes to show like just the vital role that you, that you, that you play, you know, in developing the culture. And it's, you know, you've been, a, been a part of so many national championships. It just, it all just proves that it's just, it's so valuable. You get a different side and uh, I'm sure the evaluation, the feedback you give the coaches is pretty valuable as well. And Well, one uh, of the hard things that, that we have is, you know, I don't get to work with every team. Right. And so we have GAs fluctuating in every two years. Right. And so this is challenging. This is where like it really hones in on what you just said that, you know, having the continuity is critical, right. For that culture, right. As new coaches are yeah. coming in and, and coaches are going out, that's where I am noticing, right. Culture changes, right. And cult, generally we don't, we very rarely see culture growth, we, we typically see culture decline um, in the fluctuation because you're bringing in a, a, 
a strength coach who's 22 years old and has never had, I mean, we got, you know, a strength coach who's 22 years old, who is in charge of a national, you know, championship baseball team, mm. right. You know, like it's their show, um, you know, and, and part of why I give that is because they work their freaking tail off. Mm-hmm. Right? It's one less thing for that, that strength coach to have to really worry about, you know, and, um, but yeah, like you're, you're 22 years old and you're in charge of the national championship team. Like what a great experience first off. Right. Well, the expectations are high. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, and then two years later, they're going to get somebody new. So over the course of your time as a, as a player here, you're going to see two different strength coaches for some of our teams. And, um, you know, one of the good things with, with coach Sires is, is building that, that culture is, is super strong right from that end too. You know, Jim Berkman ends across, you I mean, the, you know, their culture is is so high. Women's across culture is very high. Field hockey, I mean, a lot of teams that are highly successful, basketballs are really grown, have really grown tremendously over the past five years, 10, five to 10 years. I mean, really, really um, seen a lot of great improvements there. And, you know, so it's, it's, they do it on that end too, right? They, they really push that concept on their end. And I think that's a huge part. And then, we just, you know, sublet that the rest of the year. Um, but it's hard for the 22 year old coach to figure out all that stuff. And that's where we see the decline, unfortunately. And that's the hard part. That's what, that's what bugs me every day. It drives me, drives me batty. I think every day is because like, I know what we could do. I know what we could be. I just can't do it all myself, unfortunately. And we, we educate right. year, year two is always better for them but then they're gone again. And then we're right back to the start, you know, and so I haven't quite figured that one out yet. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely a challenge. I think everybody has their challenges, you know, it's different. You know, like I just talked to the West Virginia performance coach and that he's only has to do with baseball, yeah. you know, like they each have each of their own guys. So yeah, that's just a different challenge and every, every level is different. And, uh, but it's still so valuable. I think, I think for me, just even the, the education for people knowing that one, uh, even at the high school level, at the lowest levels, you, you need to be reaching out to a performance coach. You need to be understanding of it. Try to be talking to your strength and conditioning coach at the high school if where you're at. Uh, it's just so valuable uh, with what, what you can see, even from an individual standpoint of how they compete in there, you know. And like you said, you said earlier about like marrying the concepts that we're trying to teach from a mental standpoint to bring into the weight room, like, cause that really goes to show, you know, like, do you see guys afraid to fail? You know, do you see guys competing? Do you see guys trying so hard and maybe they're killing themselves and not recovering enough? You know, like, I think mm-hmm. that tells into like the kind of person they're going to be like when they're in a slump, you know, guys in a slump are mm-hmm. just going to, you have a certain guys that like, well, the guys that don't recover and they push themselves to like, well, they're just overexert themselves probably will do that when they're in a slump too and they're not going to get any better you know like so it's good to see this kind of thing i think you should see a different type of the person and um you know, you know I the, love- the the concepts like you they're not really complex right i mean they're like it's to me it's like even just sitting here talking now it's like all we're doing is just we're taking a step back and saying like how basic like you know what i mean like how basic can we be and how great can we be at basic you know, to me, that's like, that's really what it is. It's, it's just this, let's just pull ourselves back of this. You know, I've just went to this clinic and I learned all this stuff and I've got all this knowledge. That's cool. But how can we simplify everything to be very basic, but yet be 
exceptionally good at those concepts, right? And like, like you're saying, it's just like taking the mental approach to an at bat. We all know what, I mean, what's the, the cliche, right? The game's 90% mental, right? But how many times do we even work on that? Like we all know it, but we're so worried about the skills yet. The, the one thing that's going to screw everything up right, is the th- six inches between your ears, right? It's the same thing. We talk about commitment. Like if you're not committed to want to work to get better, you're not going to get better, right? So let's simplify it. Let's figure out where you sit and let's figure out how we get better. You know, mm. I mean, that that's simplifying it. Take the game or whatever the skill is back to the simplest form and and then figure out how to progress it from there. Um, uh, I don't think we, we just want to jump to the end, right? And right. that's the power of Hanoi, right? The same concept. Everybody wants to win the game. They want to they want to get to the end, but not simplify the process as it goes, which will result in a better end, right? Or better outcome. For sure. But, but that's stuff. our society today, you know? No, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think the compound effect too, and they kind of, when you bring in the money thing like that, you know, so there's another great book is compound effect. Darren Hardy, oh, yeah, one, yeah, it is. one of my top fives. Um, awesome stuff, man. Uh, Coach nine is uh, best way for guys to contact you. Want to talk some more stuff. Maybe like, let's say this guy that wants to reach out to our sports performance coach, what might be the best way to. Yes. Uh, in my email, M a N E I N at Salisbury.edu. Just shoot me an email. Um, again, if you want to DM me on, on, uh, Facebook or hit me up on Instagram, um, I don't even know what my, my Instagram t- tag is. You'll have to throw that in the show notes. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, email is probably the best. Um, and then again, reach out, like, like you said, like, it doesn't have to just be me, like reach out to anybody. You'd be amazed how open people are, especially in the sport you know, from me just being in the sport performance field, I mean, reach out to anybody. You know, I've probably in the last two or three days, I've had, I think I've got, a, I got a call tomorrow um, waiting to hear back from another guy when, when we're talking uh, next week, um, you know, just about different concepts, you know, and when I'm learning from them and they're learning from me, I mean, half an hour, 20 minutes, like, I don't care. Like, give me, if you can give me five minutes, that's awesome. Right. I took a call the other day. I was like, all right, I, I got to be at training. I got to start setting up in five minutes. All right. You got five minutes. What's the best question you got? Right. Yeah. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, can we call, can we call you another time? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it was like just enough for them to be okay. And, and it helped them out in the, in the immediate. And then I'd get to them like next week, a little bit more, we can really sit down and talk a little bit more. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, Reach out, man. You can't. Here's the here's the thing, right? Worst case scenario, they say no. You're in mm-hmm. the same spot, right? You're in the same exact position. But what happens if they say yes? What happens if they say, "Hey, why don't you come visit?" Right? I mean, heck, something like that could even turn into a job. Absolutely. Right? And, and we do we do this with our interns, right? Just as a quick example, so people are like, "Oh, he's just bullshit." No, like uh, they have to call three coaches, right? So minimum, you have to call three strength coaches, right? I don't care who they are, but you got to call them. Right. So you got to set up an appointment, email, like do all these things. Right. I, we need, we want to look at your questions and right? make sure that you're professional because you're representing our program. Right. And so this guy ends up calling the strength coaches at Oregon. By the end of the conversation, he had a summer internship. Oh like, man, it's great. You know, like he, and, and they, they felt genuine. Like it wasn't like he was learning, wanted to grow, wanted to learn, hadn't, didn't want to like, wasn't trying to be somebody he wasn't, you know? And, it was cool. And like, I mean, it's like, yeah, you never know. Like, did he going into that? Did he ever think that would happen? Absolutely not. I mean, one of our strength coaches who worked with, with baseball for their international championship, the reason he was at Salisbury is because he came to visit. 
Mm-hmm. Right? He came to visit to see our program. By the end of the day, he had a GA position, right? Just like that. And said, the only way though, that you're going to get this GA position, you got to get one more internship, right? So he ends up going and interning at Towson. By the time he was done at Towson for that summer internship, he had an internship for the following summer at Iowa, right? Mm. By the time, so he comes back to us then as his first semester, right? Or second semester, it was his third semester now with us. He's got one more semester. He gets a phone call from the strength coach at Iowa, right? Saying, uh, you're going to hear from this guy uh, because you're my number one. Well, the guy at Towson also was an assistant at Iowa. The guy who was looking for the job was an assistant at Iowa. Right. So not knowing that this guy had talked to this guy, this guy up here also called this guy over here. Right? This guy said the same name. Mm. Right. Just like that. He left, took the, took a job full time. Right. Hadn't even graduated grad school yet. Full-time job left us in his, at the end of the third semester. Man, and he's a freaking rock star, right? Yeah. You never know, right? You never know. He came and visited, ended up with a GA. Within a year and a half, he was a full-time assistant strength coach, FBS program. That's awesome. You know, and he'll get a ring here in, in, in a yeah. month. Never yeah. know, man. That's right. You just yeah. talk, talk out, call them. People just want to talk and absolutely, man. Love it. This is awesome, man. I really appreciate you, man, taking some time, man. This was really educational. I think the absolute uh, just great knowledge, man. It's a ton of knowledge, man. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Hey, man. I appreciate it, man. Anytime. Love to, love to chat with you the next time you're down. Coach Matt Nine from Salisbury just giving us some great information. I just loved all the stuff that he talked about from the different lessons that they're trying to teach within and being authentic and allowing what he called opportunities for when he hears them say certain things or when their conversation's happening to be authentic and be open, um, knowing when times that he just needs to build relationships so he can have trust in order to give them feedback and when they're giving him feedback and what he can trust. Love how they talk about um, his... Iron Sammy, you know, competing against other teams, which in there talking about the Tower of Noy and um, him doing that competition, which is keeping them and using those skills that they're gonna they're going to relate to and see them in the field, so then they can realize that this is how they're going to be able to practice them. Uh, I think so many times, and I know some people are doing a great job of this within the classroom, but there might be times where you just don't get a chance to talk about those mental skills or get to practice them. And the weight room is a great time for that. The weight room gets allows people to see that where you can focus on the moment. If you're not, you're going to get hurt. If you're not, you're no way you're putting up the weight rate, the 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 right weight, uh, and the, the best you can. If you're not in the moment, uh, if you're afraid to fail, you know, uh, too many different. Uh, lessons can come out of that and I think that you hear that through coach non his in his message uh, being able to relate the concepts in the moment for what we're doing in the weight room to on the field those are great powerful things and also then being able to relate it later on in the program um, crazy I love the six components it says components uh, in the weight room from lifting to mental skills the physical skills nutrition recovery conditioning and lifting all fantastic things Understanding, knowing that 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 the mental skills are just as important as the physical. You know, he he brings all that in, and you know that's it's the most important part is the six inches between our brain. Assessing commitment, I think we get a do. I could have definitely dove into more of that. 
uh, would have been even longer, but I think that's definitely something that people could reach out to him, continue to reach out to him at ma9nein at salisbury.edu. But that the assessment commitment, how he's assessing commitment is pretty interesting. Um, again, I think if you're not measuring it, you know, you're, how would you know? Uh, weightlifting definitely has an easy way of doing that. But I love the assessment commitment. I'm really, very curious. I definitely would reach out to him myself even about that just to kind of get more information. He did give out the book about Jeff Jansen, Commitment Continuum. But define the stuff, assess it, measure it. You could just really just come up with your own stuff. It's really just about that, like being able to say, here's how we're going to do, here's what we're about, and here's where you're going to get five points for doing this and four points for doing this and three, however you need to manage it. Because like he said, I can't give everybody because I just can't manage that. So he knows where he has, he knows limitations, he knows what he can do, and that's what he can manage. And that's, that's what it's all about. So he's owning his own program, and that's what really good coaches do. So... Coach Nine, can't thank you enough, man. All great, great stuff. Again, thank you guys for, for sticking with us. Thank Will Miner, those Nenny guys at Nenny Pros. Check those guys out. Um, let me know if you have any feedback for me at TradeTCob at Gmail. Check us out on Twitter. Um, always putting stuff out on Facebook as well. We have a page on Facebook. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for the support and keep it coming. And. Um, continue to get better so thank you again for everybody coach now i appreciate you until next week keep getting better